number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and oh boy, we got a lot to talk about today. Sorry about not having a show on Tuesday, just for multiple reasons, I was not really able to do a show. It, it just wasn't going to happen earlier this week. There wasn't really much to talk about, and it didn't feel like the time to drop a podcast where I was just talking about the positives and negatives of the major esports that I cover on this show. That'll be in today's show, along with some of the other news stuff that I am reacting to, so we'll just jump right in because there's a lot to talk about. Because two... New Valorant signings have happened in just the past couple days. T1 finished out their roster. They they have a full five-man roster now. And they picked up Skadoodle. Which, I gotta say, is a pickup. Because that team is absolutely nuts. Brax, Skadoodle, Crashies, Food, and AZK. Oh boy. That is a team right there. <laughs> that is a very, very good team right there. And T1 has made it very clear they want to be heavily involved in Valorant. And they want a foothold in North America. That much is very clear with these signings. And Joe Marsh, the CEO, even said as much when he was talking to ESPN Esports. Like, they want to be... They want to be a global org because technically now with that Comcast ownership and the fact that they're the CEO of T1 is an American, they want they are a global org now and they want to expand beyond the borders of Korea. And I can't say I blame them. Esports have already been a thing in Korea forever, basically. Basically, since almost since multiplayer video games even became a thing. So, like, you've already established yourself there. It's blowing up in North America. So, now's the time to strike. And they clearly want to. And they're still... And they want to get heavily involved in Valorant. Because if you didn't watch that interview, go track it down. It's It's really good. But I'll give you some of the cliff notes. Joe Marsh said they want to they want to invest heavily in Valorant. They want an amateur team and they want a separate Korean Valorant roster until Riot says, "Okay, you can only have one." And if it does come to that, they are committed to the North American roster. So, it's very clear where their intentions lie, where they want to go with this. And they very much want to be the best, the best Valorant team in North America. And it's hard to deny with those kind of signings. And I mean, the, the tease was, was the Exodia meme. They had Brax, Crashies, Food, and AZK as the other pieces, the arms and the legs, and the the mystery Exodia the Forbidden One was just completely blacked out, and it turns out that's Skadoodle. And for people who are a little bit younger than me, or never watched Yu-Gi-Oh! or never played the game, Exodia is a set of cards from the Yu-Gi-Oh! card game, where if you get all five pieces, Exodia the Forbidden One, right, right and left, arm of the forbidden one and right and left leg of the forbidden one if you have all five pieces in your hand you just win the game <laughs> so i know it's kind of a meme but it's also very clear what their intentions are like they consider this team to be exodia the forbidden one it is a win condition <laughs> it is a win condition to just have this team together and one, I think that's kind of hilarious because I am an old school Yu-Gi-Oh fan and I appreciate the reference. And two, it's kind of true. <laughs> like, sure, they lost to Gen.G at their own tournament, but 
this was a team that wasn't complete yet and was still getting used to playing together. Gen G have been a team for a few years. T1, right now, on paper, are the best team in North America. Hands down, end of story. Like, they're going to be favored in most games that they're playing in. And the other big signing was 100 Thieves has now thrown their hat into the Valorant ring and... Like they do when they do anything, they made a big splash. They brought in Hiko. You know, legendary North American CS player. Ridiculously good at Valorant, as proven by his streams during the beta and this week since the game launched. He is very good at this game. Has officially signed as a player with 100 Thieves. Not a coach, not a content creator. As a player. And one, that's very interesting because he's 30. And he even said as much on his stream. Like, getting back into pro play at the age of 30 is a big leap. And it's going to be... It's going to be kind of a challenge. But he even, he even said on his stream. Like, he had... Once T1 made their first couple signings he had his pick of basically every org in the world that is interested in Valorant. If you can think of an esports org, they probably talk to Hika. And he even said Hunter Thieves did not offer him the most money. Other other teams offered him bigger contracts. And that's the one he took, which I think says a lot about who and what 100 Thieves are. And honestly, that doesn't surprise me too much. And what I think the 100 Thieves Valorant team is going to end up being is going to be Hiko and four up-and-comers, four younger guys. Because, one, that just sounds like an incredibly 100 Thieves thing to do because along with signing him, they also said, yeah, he's team captain. Which means he's probably going to be the most experienced and the more than likely the biggest name on the team. And he said on his stream that they have been doing tryouts. They've been scrimming with other guys. I don't think it'll be too much longer before they announce the rest of the signings because this is 100 Thieves and that's kind of what they do. But big pickup for them, and congrats to him. Like, getting back into pro play at 30, like, that's not an easy thing to do. I know for people from outside esports, like, 30 doesn't sound like it's that old, but as far as esports goes, it kind of is. Like, Double Lift's 27, 28, and he's one of the older players in the LCS. Faker's of Faker's 26 and he is the oldest mid laner in the LCK. Like it's it's very much a a young man's game and especially with a game that's brand new and has years upon years ahead of it if things go well, which I kind of expect them to. Like I could definitely see them signing a roster of younger up and coming talent other than Corey I could see Corey being the exception because, one, if the same rules that applied to Sinatra apply to him, he's kind of limited in the orgs he could sign with. And just based on certain things he's tweeted since leaving the Justice, um, because while the Justice are not directly owned by Liquid, they are owned by the same parent company as Team Liquid. So... I could definitely I could definitely see where he might not want to sign with them just given certain things he's tweeted since leaving the justice. I don't know if he'd necessarily jump on that uh that team liquid bandwagon. So he can't go to Cloud9 because they own the Spitfire. 
He couldn't go to NRG. Like, he couldn't go to any of the orgs that are involved in the Overwatch League. Because, like, that's the same thing that happened to Sinatra. Unless he signed with NRG, he couldn't sign with anyone else who's involved in OWL. So he has a few restrictions in who he can sign with. Sentinel's roster is already full, so he's not going to team up with Sinatra. Which I think would be incredibly scary, but... And that is happening... That is happening this weekend in Twitch Rivals, which we'll get into the previews of that in a second. But I could definitely see Corey being the one exception to that no no other big stars thing on the 100 Thieves Valorant roster. Just because if all the reports are true, he is like the best teammate ever. He is just a super positive guy when it comes to playing with him and scrimming with him and just being his teammate. So everyone wants to play with him. And he's another guy with a whole lot of personality that I could also see definitely fitting the 100 Thieves brand. He would absolutely fit right in with them. And... I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him go there. Like that that would not surprise me in the slightest. He's ridiculously good. He's got a big personality, but he's also a great teammate. Like he would fit right in. And and I would enjoy that cuz I I do like watching him play and 100 Thieves is probably like my primary esports team outside of outside of the Fusion. So, yeah, like I would 100% like to see this guy that I really respect as a player go to the team that I really like. But that's that's all speculation. I haven't seen or heard any rumors that that's happening, but it could definitely be a thing that does happen, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. But now let's get into... The Twitch Rivals tournament this weekend. Um, this thing is the definition of a pro-am. Just looking at the way some of these teams are constructed. Because, one, the Sentinels roster is split between two different teams. Sinatra and Sick are playing with uh, Dizzy, Corey, and Marved. And Dapper, Zoms, and Shazam are playing with Asu and Elyse. So, um, hmm. that's that, that's an interesting thing right there. That They're in different groups, though, which is, is kind of disappointing. Because if they both don't make it through and get to play each other, I'm going to be kind of disappointed. Because that would be really funny. Is the five Sentinels guys split between two different teams playing against each other? Like, that would be pretty great. Tens is playing with uh, the team that... The the five stack that he's basically been playing with through... Was playing with through the entire beta. I think since they've played together so much, that's just going to end up being Cloud9. I think that'll just end up being the Cloud9 roster. Myth is playing with a bunch of teams that... A bunch of guys who could also uh, be something. Immortals is mostly represented. Like, Group A and Group B are just absolutely nuts. Because <laughs> Group B, the team that's going to win it is, is T1. They are making their official five-man debut as a team. Brax, Skadoodle, Crashies, Food, and AZK. Like... That team's going to be nuts. Asus' team is absolutely stacked with the three Sentinels guys plus him and Elyse. Like, that's a really, really good roster. Hiko's just playing with the Gen G guys over in Group A. Like, that's going to be... If, if I had to pick out of these groups, I would say probably Hiko and the Gen G guys and uh, Tens' five stack that he was mostly playing with through the entire beta that if Cloud9 were smart, they would just sign the rest of them. 
And then B, Group B, I'd probably give that to uh, T1 and Team Asu, which is mostly Sentinels. So we don't get the incredible matchup of Team Asu versus Team Dizzy in the later rounds. Which is kind of disappointing, but also at the same time makes sense. You don't want... (laughs) You don't want people from the same actual team playing against each other in a pro-am, especially with the insane amount of money that's on the line for this particular Twitch Rivals event. (laughs) And the other teams, like, I feel kind of bad for these poor guys. Like, Flom's team in Group C could be pretty good. They probably will be pretty good. I could see them... I could definitely see them winning that group. And probably Mendo and Bonanza will win Group D. I don't know who the second team out of Group C is going to be because, I'll be honest, I've never heard of like any of these people other than Flom. Because <laughs> uh, Team St. Peach, you got St. Peach, Portillo. I've heard of Portillo, but not a whole lot. You got Chappie, Autumn, and Monkey Moo. I've heard these names, but I don't know that much about them. Uh, CDN, Requiem Slaps, Camille's, Wyperk, and and Thwiffo. Like, I feel like I've heard these names in passing, but I don't know that much about them. Mendo teaming up with Tim the Tatman. That could be an okay team. Jordan Fisher, Sony, and a couple other guys. Like, that wouldn't be terrible but i'm pretty sure those three other guys are just guys that sony recruited by tweeting about it because <laughs> i remember him tweeting like oh hey i need three valorant players above a certain rank for some for an opportunity and i'm guessing that's this twitch rivals team with jordan fisher Banans, she's got some decent players on this team because she's pretty good Lulu Lovely's pretty good. Iridium and Gameface are pretty good from what I've heard. And then the last team in Group D, Team Austin Creed. Austin Creed, Claudio's Cafe, The Chugs, The Sweets Live, and Dank Ops. Now, Dank Ops is Chris Danker, and he is a straight-up content creator. Like, that's his job. Those other four guys, from top to bottom, are the Twitch alter egos... Of four WWE wrestlers. Austin Creed is Xavier Woods of the New Day. Claudio's Cafe is Cesaro. The Chugs is Adam Cole. And The Sweets Live is actually three guys. But in this case, it is Tyler Breeze. So these poor guys are going to get stomped. All four of them, incredible wrestlers. I love their work. I am big fans of all four of them. But the last time I watched Adam Cole play Valorant... He died in pretty much every round and never bought his abilities. He was playing Sova and he just had Sova's recon arrow every single round. He didn't have the shock dart, which let's be honest is kind of useless. So no real harm in not buying that, but he didn't have the Aldrone. He didn't know how to charge his ult and he would usually just die in every single round. He was pretty good at League. Not great at Valorant. (laughs) He might have gotten better in the past couple weeks, but last time I watched his stream, his uh, screen was incorrectly cropped, and every single round he was not buying his abilities. So, um, I don't think he's all that great at Valorant. Obviously, Austin Creed, otherwise known as Xavier Woods, he's the captain. I've seen a little bit of him play Valorant too. He's pretty good. Cesaro is a dedicated gamer. Like the fact that he attempted to play League of Legends on airport Wi-Fi, like the man is a trooper. <laughs> and he was the only good part of that disaster of a uh, of a team WWE at the the League of Legends showdown from about two years ago now. I actually talked about it on a much much older version of this show, and. I very much enjoyed that back then. But when these guys are going up against real players, 
Ooh, they're gonna get stopped. <laughs> they might surprise me, but given the other names in Group D, I highly doubt it. <laughs> like Mendo and Tim the Tatman alone outclass pretty much all of them, maybe other than than Danker. Like that's gonna be that's gonna be not pretty. <laughs> and if you look at these groups, like groups A and B are the best eight teams in the tournament. Because most of the teams in group B are just professional rosters, or at least large majority professional rosters. Like the last team in group B is basically just Immortals. That's like Immortals roster plus one more because they don't have a fifth guy yet. In group A, you have Wardell on Miss team and Wardell is ridiculous. The Gen G guys teaming up with Hiko. That's that's just disgusting. Like player one, GMD, Mikhail, and Effie, like that's the four best players on Genji's Valorant team. And now they're teaming up with Hiko, who's probably gonna IGL and can also frag out of his mind. Like right now, they're my pick to win the whole thing. It's gonna come down to them in T1 more than likely. But I think uh, I think that Hiko team with the other Gen G guys that's just that's just gross. <laughs> that's just disgusting. Like they're more than likely gonna win this particular Twitch Rivals, especially since it is a Twitch Rivals rather than a big major tournament. Like it's got a gigantic prize pool, but at their heart, Twitch Rivals events are pro ams. Like Twitch Rivals events are nothing more than pro ams. Like. You're probably going to see a lot of Reyna play, despite the fact that she is not meta at all. You're probably going to see a lot of Jet, because even though she is not much of a team player agent, you can style on people with her if you have the mechanical skill. Like You're going to see a lot of Jet, you're going to see a lot of Reyna, just because she's fun, despite not being super competitively viable. Like I don't think you're going to see... The Holy Four plus one. Like, you're not going to see everyone just running Sage, Breach, Cypher, Brim. And then a fifth who's more than likely, like, Phoenix. Or Viper. Or Sova. Like, I don't think you're going to see too much of that. I think you're going to see people playing more for fun and just trying to get ridiculous. Rather than everyone playing super serious and just insta-locking... Insta-locking the Holy Four. One, I hope we see some teams play without Sage, because Sage is kind of boring to both play and watch, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Unless you have your opper play Sage, like, Sage is kind of boring to watch. And other than when she gets a res, like, her res changes the game, and... I get why she's picked in every game, basically. <laughs> but you don't always need to play her. You you can win without her. I've seen it happen. It makes things a lot easier to have a healer on your team whose heal recharges every 35 seconds. But you can win without her. <laughs> if If you know what you're doing. And a lot of these guys probably do. So, you don't need to play her in a pro-am. Just go out there and have some fun and go after this absolutely ridiculous prize pool that, that this tournament has. And they're doing Twitch Rivals events all over the world. I'm I'm just focusing in on NA because that's the region I know. It'll be a lot easier to scout the other regions once we can do lands again. And I'm hoping we can do lands again soon, because the online tournaments are great, but it'll be so much better when we can have a crowd. Like, let's be real. Some of those plays from some of the beta tournaments, put those in front of a crowd, and they become some of the most iconic esports plays ever. Because crowd reactions change everything. <laughs> but... 
I'm glad they're still playing online tournaments, and this particular Twitch Rivals is going to be really fun. And Twitch Rivals are online anyway, unless they're happening at TwitchCon, so that's not much of a change for them. But I am very much looking forward to this particular tournament this weekend. I think you're going to get a lot of good, good Valorant play out of all the regions, because at least for right now... The regions are somewhat balanced. I don't know if that'll change in a couple years where Korea will just outpace the rest of the world in it like they do everything else in esports other than, you know, CSGO. <laughs> but I could see this one being the, the first first-person shooter that everyone around the world is good at. <laughs> Because in CS, it's Europe and Brazil and Latin America. In Rainbow Six, it's Europe, Brazil, Latin America. In Call of Duty, it's pretty much North America. And the Asian countries just suck. And Australia is pretty good at CS too. I did forget them. They're not amazing at Siege, but they're pretty good at CS. But I think this one will be the one where everyone gets to play it and you have somewhat of an even playing field because these North American teams are really, really good. And since we kind of have a bit of a lead on Asia when it comes to CS, I could see North America actually having a chance to be good at this game. In a game where Korea is involved. Because Riot already owns Korea. Like, this game's going to blow up there. And the the star character of the game, despite not being super competitively viable, she's the star player. Like, let's be real here. Jet is the face of that game. She's Korean. Like, that game's going to blow up over there. And I'm glad. Like... This is a game that I really enjoy, and the more people that enjoy it, the better. But that's what I got for the Valorant news and my slightly scatterbrained preview of Twitch Rivals, but I'm definitely going to enjoy it this weekend. Like, CDL postponed till next weekend, so it's really the big, the major esports thing going on this weekend. So I'm going to enjoy every second of it, but that's what I've got. For Valorant up next, we're going to move into state of the scene and just go game by game, not doing any like breaks in between. It's, it's just going to be one segment and I'm going to go game by game and kind of break down where everything is at in what is essentially the midpoint of all of their 2020 seasons. So that's up next here on the mashup. All right, welcome back to the mashup. And I mentioned this segment already a couple times. It's going to be a little bit different. It's just going to be me recapping where the other three esports I cover that aren't Valorant are kind of at at this point in both their existence as esports and where they are in their current seasons since none of them are playing this weekend. And they all come back next weekend. Like, all three of them are coming back next weekend. Overwatch League, COD League, and the LCS are all coming back next weekend. So this feels like the perfect time to kind of just discuss where they're at and where I think they should go from here. What they're doing right, what they're doing wrong if they're doing anything right or anything wrong in the case of certain games and what they should do when they're allowed to play on LAN again and have spectators in the building, which um, if they do it in Florida, they could do it today. Thank you, Florida for leading the way, but that is a totally different discussion 
Let's get into this. State of the scene, Overwatch League 2020. They are coming off maybe their best event ever. It's the best event professional Overwatch has ever done. Like, the Apex Tournament, the Apex Tournament was great. It was the building blocks of Overwatch League. The main melee was the best competitive Overwatch has ever been. 100%. No doubt in my mind of that statement that the main melee tournament, especially the tournament itself, not just the, the qualifiers leading up to it, the tournament itself was the best Overwatch League has ever been. And they took three weeks off to completely restructure their season format. To do tournaments like this the rest of the way. I hope that part of this discussion involves scrapping the hero pool. Because it was a good idea in principle. It has completely fallen flat in execution. It leads to constant mirror comps. It leads to weird matchups. And it leads to boring games. If the main melee proved anything, it is that multiple picks right now, like multiple comps right now, are meta. Like, sure, everyone's running Echo Ash, but there were multiple different shield lineups. There were multiple different support lineups. And there was some occasional DPS variety. Like, you don't need hero pools to enforce this. Because when you do have hero pools, everyone just plays the same tank line. Because they have to. Everyone plays the same support duo. Because they have to. Because they can't pick who they want. Like, one of the good ones is out. So you have to pick two new ones. Because they, the other good meta pick doesn't synergize with anyone else. Who is even kind of competitively viable. Like, hero pools. Good idea in principle. Have been executed Horribly. They do not work. And hopefully, they don't come back. They might. They could for keep them in for the qualifying weeks because Overwatch can't get out of its own way. But I hope they decide to just keep them out. It was... The roll lock was already bad enough. Like... I... I don't hate roll lock, but a lot of players did. And it's why a lot of them quit the game. Sinatra said that. I think it's a contributing factor to Corey. I think it's a contributing factor to everyone who's quit competitive Overwatch so far. Especially the fact that they all quit mid-season. I don't think Corona canceling all the homestands helped. Because Sinatra also said that. Like, if they were still playing in front of fans, he'd probably finish out this season. But since they're not, he took the opportunity to go to Valorant. And I can't fault him for that because he's pretty good at it. But it's definitely not a great look for your game when... A lot of your biggest stars, including your reigning MVP, quit your game in the middle of the season to play a game that, at the time, had not even gotten a full release yet. So, the May Melee, and as good as it was, was Overwatch's, hopefully, turnaround. If they can capitalize on the popularity of that... It will be them going back on the upswing. Because I don't think they have to directly compete with Valorant. They can both exist. They're different enough that the two games can coexist. Because I have played both games. They feel very different. (laughs) And I have watched a whole lot of both games. They both watch and play very differently. I mean, guys who were good at Overwatch, at least, like, started in CS, didn't really see a future there, and went to Overwatch and got really good at it. 
Like, those guys are really good at Valorant. Sinatra, Corey, prime examples. But they are different enough that they can totally coexist. And I hope they do. I want them to coexist. I don't want Overwatch to die. It is it is my gateway it was my gateway drug to esports. At least as far as its esports scene. I started with Overwatch League. Like League of Legends and I played Overwatch before I played League of Legends. So it was my gateway drug to esports. 100%. And cuz I had always been a gamer, but Overwatch is what brought me into this world. And here I am now. But I want the two games to coexist. And I hope they can. And if they keep doing tournaments like that, rather than those boring, boring hero pool matches that felt like they meant absolutely nothing. Because I don't know if I'm the only one, but since the online Switch, just the regular season matches before the main melee felt like they had no stakes at all. Felt like they were playing for absolutely nothing because half the league, or more than half the league, couldn't, actually, three quarters of the league couldn't play the other quarter of the league at all. And they still can't. And it'll probably be a couple more months before they can. So the individual games felt like they meant absolutely nothing because they couldn't get the servers stable enough for even East Coast American teams to play West Coast American teams. Now that they figured that out, hopefully this will feel more like a regular season, even without the tournament structure, which we'll get into Kyle League in a second, has worked very well for them. Hopefully they just adopt that structure straight up where every weekend is a tournament. You pick random teams who are going to play in it. You pick, what, eight teams that are going to play in it? Eh. Overwatch League's a little bit bigger, so I don't know if you could do eight. Maybe do 12. Maybe do, like, 12 teams who are going to... Who are going to... 10 to 12 teams who are going to play in it. And do a weekend-long tournament. I think that would work really well for Overwatch League. I, I think that would be a very good system for them. I don't know how it necessarily works since it is since it is a bigger league than COD League is. But they could they could totally figure something out. And if you are gonna have to keep segregating between North America and Asia, you can just do it the same way. Like you can figure it out. Hopefully they do end up do some doing something like that. I don't know what they're doing just yet. Hopefully they'll announce it soon. What their new structure is going to be. Because hopefully, it, whatever it'll be, it'll probably be better than what we got since the online switch. And hopefully even after they can go back to homestands, which will hopefully be next season, they'll keep this structure. Because it works really well. I think when you go back to homestands, you could do that more regular season format because it'll feel like the matches will actually have stakes again because they they will, like anyone will be able to play anybody because traveling will be back to normal. But it's it's been a tough year for the Overwatch League. Once, once everything shut down and they couldn't do homestands anymore, they were in deep, deep trouble. And... The hero pools made play kind of boring. Actually made play really boring. So hopefully they've learned their lesson and they get rid of them. And go back to just playing Overwatch. But we'll see. We'll see in the next week what what they're going to be doing for the rest of the season. And I'm cautiously optimistic. I think they learned a lot from how good that tournament was and how well it was received. And I think they will be able to build on it. That could just be me being very optimistic. But I like to live in a world of optimism rather than pessimism. So we'll, we shall see in the next couple of weeks if Overwatch can build on the success 
of that last tournament. But their their brother league has actually done pretty okay since the switch to online. Other than a few connection issues for certain teams, which are just mind-boggling. Like, everyone is in North America, other than... Other than Paris and London, who might also be in North America. <laughs> like, how are you having these horrendous connection issues when 10 of your 12 teams are in the same country? Or 9 of your 12 teams. Forgot about Toronto. Where 9 of your 12 teams are in the same country and 10 of them are on the same continent. How are you having these horrible horrible connection issues that are borderline unplayable. That's been their main problem since the Switch to online, because other than that, the matches themselves have actually been really good. Like, we've gotten a lot of good Call of Duty out of the online versions of the home series. We've gotten good games all season. Like The London series was incredible. The Atlanta series was even better. LA was really good. And then all the online series, despite not having crowds and a lot of connection issues, especially the first one, have all been really good. Like, they've been a lot of fun to watch. They finally figured out how to make the broadcast work to an at least watchable level. And they've figured out most of the connection issues. Not all of them. OGLA are still having a time of it. Which I don't get, because Gorilla's connections are fine, and they're in the same city. <laughs> like, the only big problem COD League has, has had, other than those connection issues, wasn't their fault. It was the ownership group that clearly doesn't know how to properly run an esports org. The Aquilini group. These guys are idiots. They should have never gotten involved in esports, because... They basically killed two teams. They killed the Titans, and they killed the Seattle Surge. Which, the Surge is even more impressive, because they didn't even make it a full first season. <laughs> the Titans at least made it a full first season before the roster completely blew up. But they still botched the handling of the Titans. Like, they never built their own identity. They just tried to capitalize on runways... Runaway's popularity. They never hired an English interpreter until midway through the season. Like These guys are complete idiots when it comes to esports and should never have gotten involved. That has been COD League's biggest problem, and it was beyond their control. One of their investing partners just turned out to be completely incompetent when it comes to running an esports team. Not COD League's fault. They set the price tag. These guys paid for it. Only, yeah, it's partially Cod League's fault because the cost of entry was just so prohibitive to actual esports orgs. Like $25 million is a lot of money. But they've clearly made money because their playoff prize pool is nuts. The winning team gets $2 million. The team who comes in second gets a million. Like two teams both get million dollar prizes. That's crazy in esports. Like outside of Dota and the Fortnite World Cup, which was mostly individuals. That's nuts. That's, that's absolutely nuts. And sure... The teams who come 11th and 12th don't get anything, which is kind of a shame, but at the same time, they finished 11th and 12th. Do better. And they're all gonna, like, they're all still getting paid. They're all still getting paid salaries. They're all still under contract. It's not like they are only getting paid in prize money. They're getting paid in actual salaries. They're making money. And I think we all know who those two teams that are going to finish 11th to 12th are. Like, it's going to be Toronto and the Gorillas. Like, 
Duh. They're going to finish 11th and 12th in the playoffs. It's everywhere else that's actually interesting. The teams that'll win money. But, like, good on COD League for not having as much of a revenue stream in their first season and still putting up a massive prize pool because we all know Activision has the money. They've taken a lot of our money over the years, so we all know they have it. But hopefully they'll be able to do LAN events soon. I know they canceled all of the homestands and home events for the rest of the year in both Overwatch and COD League. But the way things are progressing, they might actually be able to have people in the building for the championships, which will be good because that's how you build momentum for next season. And hopefully there will be a next season for both leagues. I think I think they've done enough to secure themselves a fourth season in the case of Overwatch League and a second in Call of Duty's case. And if they can have at least some fans at their championship and have everyone play in person, you're going to get a lot of momentum carrying you forward into next year because it's really not that long of the wait both seasons are going to start in like late january early february so that's a good thing if your championships are in august which they both are and you can have fans in the building depending on where you want to have it which if i were making those choices i would go somewhere where you can because it's better to have fans in the building do it do it, do it, do it. Have it in Georgia. Have it in Florida. Do something. <laughs> you will get fans there. And hopefully, if they're loud, that will carry your momentum into next season when you can have full venues again. I'm looking forward to it. I I think the rest of COD League season is going to be pretty good. I think the playoffs are going to be really good because... There's parity in COD League now. They they figured it out. Like there are the there are the elite teams, but other teams can definitely beat them. They're not unkillable giants anymore. Like they're they're all good teams and they can all do their own thing. So COD League looking pretty strong, especially when compared to their brother in Overwatch League. But there's one more who is just dominating. Riot owns the esports world. And now that they have a second game, that grip is going to get even tighter. League of Legends is sitting pretty. The LCS is on top of the world. At least from... in Like, relative to the rest of their history. Their playoffs were on ESPN. I mean, it was ESPN 2, but still. That is a big leap for esports. ESPN 2. I don't know the exact numbers, but ESPN 2 is in something like 8 million homes. 8 to 12 million homes, I think. Like, a lot of people have access to that channel, and your playoffs were on that. Now, the broadcast on ESPN 2 was not incredible, it cut off halfway through the draft and there was no alternate commentary, at least during the draft, to explain things better without getting super technical like they did on the Twitch broadcast, which was also the ESPN2 broadcast, just partial. And, I mean, sure, I'd much rather watch esports without commercials on Twitch because commercials are annoying. I mean, Overwatch League and COD League make it work. So, like, they could figure out how to work around... If they could figure out how to work around commercials better for the ESPN broadcast and maybe have a separate feed for the draft of people explaining things in more simple terms rather than getting super technical like they did on the actual broadcast. I don't know how you'd necessarily do that. A split feed seems really hard, especially with 
people all working from home rather than in the studio, rather than the LCS studio in California. But I think they're smart enough to figure something out. And this year is the 10th anniversary of Worlds. It is Worlds 10. That's going to be an epic party. Because it's probably going to be the first major LAN event to happen with probably very little restrictions. Just because October, November, since everything shut down. It's going to be one of the first big ones. And two, it's the 10th anniversary. And three, it's Worlds. <laughs> like, Riot wanted Worlds to be an absolute blowout this year. It was going to be at the Bird's Nest. I don't know if it'll still be at the Bird's Nest, but that was the plan. It was going to be at the Bird's Nest. They wanted to set an attendance record. And they were probably going to. They might not now. They could... But I think they're, they're definitely still committed to having Worlds this year. They said as much when they canceled MSI. And since they couldn't do MSI, Worlds is going to be an even bigger deal. Because it's going to be the one international championship that is just competed for this year. There's no MSI. There was no MSI. We had the mid-season streamathon where you crowned a champion between the LPL and the LCK, but that's not a true international championship. That is two regions competing in an all-star event. We need a real international championship this year. And as far as I know, Worlds is still happening. I think Worlds is still happening, and it's going to be an absolute blowout. Like... Whatever the world's theme is this year, it's probably going to be epic. Too bad they already blew the name Phoenix. Because that would have been perfect for this year. But they'll figure something out. They'll give us an epic world's theme again. Because, let's be real, we've gotten three really good ones in a row. Like, Legends Never Die was really good. Rise is amazing. And Phoenix is really good. Like, they're going to give us an epic party for Worlds this year. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And while I don't think an NA team will necessarily win, because Cloud9 is our only hope, I think we'll have a much better showing than we did last year. So I'm very much looking forward to Worlds this year. They said they're still committed to having it. So as of right now, I am acting under the assumption that Worlds is happening. But we'll see. I mean, it happens late enough in the year that it should be able to go ahead without too much of an issue. Other than the fact that it is an international tournament. But we'll see. When I don't want people canceling stuff that is meant to happen in October, in June, because that's just dumb. But, yeah. League of Legends is sitting pretty. They're on top of the esports world. Like, the LCK is franchising, finally. The LPL is just nuts. Faker has his own ice cream in Korea now. Like, League of Legends is fine. And they will continue to be fine. And when Worlds happens this year, they're going to be even bigger than they already were. Because that's just how this year has gone for Riot. They've just been dominating. So congratulations on uh, winning 2020, Riot. You might be the only company that's done so. But that's what I've got for my little state of the scene segment. Uh, let me know what you guys think on Twitter. At RealPatterson50 at Mashup underscore pod. Or jump in the Discord server and talk over there. I'll tweet out the link. But that's what I've got for my little mid-year recap. Up next, uh, we got some good and highly disappointing, in one case, traditional sports news. So we'll get into that and then wrap up the show. Up next, here on The Mashup. And now it's time to go back to traditional sports for the final segment of the show. 
and the NBA is coming back. They have a tentative start date set for July 31st in Orlando, which, thank God. Yes, yes, and yes. It's a little longer than I expected it to be, but there will be stuff to talk about in July. Which is basically when everyone is going to come back. Except for baseball, but we'll get to them because I have thoughts. But the NBA is coming back in July. 22 teams are going to finish out something resembling a regular season. And then they'll just do the playoffs from there. And it is not 11 and 11. It's 13 from the West and... Nine from the East. And that's fine because generally the Western Conference is better. And they're going to play it out to determine who the eight seats are. That's totally fine. Like, that's fair. Because I'm very glad they're doing that. Because, one, doing the, the NHL format would be too much for the NBA. Doing the 24 thing, that would be too many teams for the NBA. That's too much for the NHL, really. Because some of those teams did not deserve to get in. (laughs) But it's 13 and 9 who are going to be playing in the NBA's return. And I'm just glad they're coming back. That's, That's a very good thing for the NBA. They needed to finish out the season. So did the NHL. Like, they both needed to finish their seasons. And I'm also glad that the NBA was smart enough to set dates for next season. Like, we're not going to play it out and see how it goes. We're going to follow what the NFL is doing and set dates with the understanding that we can be flexible. The draft, the draft lottery, and opening night are all set. Good. Good, good, good. These are all smart, intelligent things that you are doing. And starting next season on December 1st gives you the chance to start the next season after that on time. Because if you start your season December 1st, You'll probably end middle of July. That gives you enough time to start next season in October. (laughs) Which, good. I mean, I know the NBA has thought about switching their season start to December permanently. Which I'd also be okay with because that would every year carry the season into July. And... As a guy who does talk about sports, it would be nice to have sports all year. (laughs) Because, sure, baseball happens, but everyone knows with baseball you don't have a whole lot to talk about overall. Because each individual game means so little. As compared to, like, the NBA or the NHL, where every, like, three games is important. Rather than the NBA or the, the MLB. Where basically a week and a half's worth of games is what you have to look at to say how teams are doing. Like You need like 10 games. You have to judge 10 games at a time across the entire season. NBA and NHL is about three to four games at a time. And football, every single game matters because there's so few. 16 and 12 for NFL and college, like... Every game is important. And same thing with college basketball. There's 40 across the entire season. That's if you make it all the way to the national championship game. So every single game is important. That's a good thing. And I'm just glad they're coming back. And the NHL officially announced their playoff format. And also, all good. I'm good with all of this. They are not doing a bracket. They're going to reseed after every round. Good. 
If you make it through, the highest team plays the lowest remaining seed all the way on down. Second highest, second lowest, third, third, like all the way on down through, well, the conference playoffs. The Stanley Cup final, it's just who comes out of the East, who comes out of the West. Play each other, go. And the play-in round where those extra eight teams come in, they are playing best of five, which is good. You won't drag the playoffs out any longer than they need to be. But they're not shortening the real 16-team playoffs. They're still going to be best of seven. It still takes 16 wins to win the Stanley Cup. Good. As it should be. It should take you 16 wins to win the Stanley Cup. I know it used to be eight. That's where the whole octopus thing in Detroit came from. Sure. But with the league at currently 31 teams, about to be 32 for next season, it should take you four rounds, 16 games to win the Stanley Cup. And it's going to be. If you if you come out of that playoff round, it'll actually take uh, 19. <laughs> but I almost consider that, that qualifying round not the playoffs. <laughs> It's like the first four in Dayton for March Madness. Like, it's technically part of the tournament. Like, you were an NCAA tournament team. But until you make that field of 64, you're not really an NCAA tournament team. Because a lot of the teams who come out of that are 16s, and they're just going to get stomped by the one seeds anyway. But... That is that is not the playoffs. That is that play in round is a substitution for the lost games of the regular season. That's that's what that is. That is that is what I see those games as, even if they will be played in a playoff series format, even if it's shorter. I will consider those games almost a modified format conclusion of the regular season rather than the actual playoffs. But hey, they're both coming back. Something I cannot say right now about Major League Baseball. How? Like, your game is played outdoors with very little physical contact. How are you going to be the last to come back? And the commissioner just mandating a 50-game season, more than likely with replacement players? Oh, that is going to be horrible for baseball. This is already bad enough. If you do replacement players and then you have a player strike in 2022, which is probably coming considering how horrible negotiations have gone for just planning a season. Baseball is screwed if they don't get Manfred out. Because I partially blame this on him and the owners for being super greedy and basically going back on their word that they agreed to in March. Like, I get it. You're not going to make as much money because there aren't going to be fans in the building. You guys are billionaires. <laughs> Figure it out. Pay them what you agreed to pay them. Don't cut it in half again. I mean, both sides are being stupid, sure, but the owners are being so much worse. And just the fact that they're refusing to negotiate. They offered up 82 games. The players said 114. Hmm, I feel like there's a very round number that's basically right in the middle of those two. If you're bad at math like me, it's a hundred. Why 50? I have been very adamant that the NBA championship and the Stanley Cup winner this year will not have an asterisk next to those titles. Those championships wins will be just as legitimate, if not more so, than a normal championship win. I cannot say that about a 50 season, a 50 game season World Series. Like, if anyone wins the World Series coming off a 50 game regular season, especially if it's the Yankees, they're going to get laughed at. And sure, Yankees fans will claim it is legit, but everyone else, no way will anyone else besides the team who wins it recognize this year's World Series championship as legitimate. I could see rivals not recognizing whoever wins 
the NBA or NHL championships this year. Like, if the Penguins win the Stanley Cup championship this year, which I don't think they're going to, I wouldn't consider it legitimate. And I expect Penguins fans to do the same if the Flyers win. But for the most part, I am considering any championship won this year in the NBA and NHL totally legit. If baseball actually goes through with this 50-game season with replacement players, let's be honest, that World Series isn't going to count for a thing. Everyone is going to remember that World Series as the one that didn't actually count. Because they played a 50-game regular season when at the time the regular season length was actually 162. Baseball is the exception. And how are you not the first back? Your season hadn't even started yet when all of this happened. Your game was played outdoors with minimal physical contact. How did... How are you not able to figure something out? You're baseball. And if you're not careful, you're going to slip to number four. You are. Like, you need to fire Manfred. He's going to kill the game. He's already started. And he probably thinks he's just so amazing. Like, if he mandates a 50-game season, he's going to consider himself the savior of baseball. He's really not if he does that. He's going to be the guy that killed baseball. Dude needs to go because he sucks at his job. How can you not figure this out? The NBA, the NBA and the NHL, both indoor, very high contact sports, have legit plans in place. How do you not have one? Other baseball leagues around the world have also come back. Like the KBO is back. The, the uh, Taiwanese League is back. Like, how do you not have a plan? Congratulations, baseball. You have made a fool of yourself yet again. But that's what I've got for today's show. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all enjoy your weekend. Stay safe out there. We're coming out the other side of this thing. I can, I can feel it. And I'm ready to go back to wrestling shows. I'm ready to go back to games. This has gone on long enough, and I'm glad we're coming out the other side. But enjoy your weekend, everyone, and I will talk to you on Tuesday. See you then.